0: This is episode 319 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at the mid-year report for the year 2020 in film. What are the best ones? What are the worst ones? This is going to be quite an episode after a four-month hiatus. Going to be a lot of fun. This episode starts right now.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning to our listeners. And welcome to episode 319. Of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Joel Copling. And before I get started, just, you know, share, like, and subscribe, all of that good stuff. Um, guys, there can be no denying that the year 2020's epic awfulness should be in the history books of awful years. Um, you know, the Australian bushfires, uh, earthquakes in Turkey and the Caribbean, Locust swarms and volcano eruptions and gas plant explosions, air, airliner crashes in Pakistan and Ukraine, floods floods in Indonesia, the downing of the helicopter carrying Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others outside Calabasas, California, civil unrest in India following the Citizenship Amendment Act and in the United States following the highly publicized killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Rayshard Brooks, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor. But laying all over all of this, like, I don't know, some, like, really awful blanket has been the COVID-19 pandemic, which has changed so much about the way we live, the way we socialize, the way we process mass trauma on a global level after the deaths of more than 515,000 people. Uh, and obviously all that's important, more important than our podcast, but it did affect the podcast too, you know, with the delays of major blockbusters and the closures of every major and minor theater chain, Chase and I decided to take a break from recording, um, but for those of us with a stake in movies, the sudden redirection from theatrical offerings toward virtual releases, streaming exclusives, and an influx even of even more titles gone straight to video on demand, meant that we have mostly kept up with 2020 offerings, and this special podcast, which is our first in four months, and potentially our only one for many weeks, depending on the fluid situation going on around the world, um, It's devoted to movies that have moved us and have offered us escape and maybe even have dug our heels in further in the reality of what's going on in the real world. Um, We hope you enjoy. And, you know, as always, stay safe and stay sane out there. Uh, Chase, it's been four months, uh, almost four months since we passed, since we last were together doing this. Um, And it feels like it's been much longer I think that we can probably both agree on that. Um you know, I, I I mentioned just a couple of weeks ago, it's now it's now approaching five months, but only five months ago, Parasite won Best Picture. Uh the first foreign language film to do that in the Oscar uh canon. And it doesn't it, it feels like it's been at least a year since that that point, maybe even longer. And of course, I and many other listeners are uh, wondering how have you been coping during all of this? Um, and, and how are you doing right now?
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just strange, man. I remember specifically when we were recording the hunt episode, I said, I saw it with like a storm going on. People were just like uneasy in the theater. I was like, there's just something wrong here. And then from that point on, that's when it just got worse and worse. And, uh yeah what what's even uh, crazy about what you said with the whole parasite thing like the virus was happening at that point and mm-hmm. you know it just hadn't it hadn't really reached here yet and that's just, right. it's just crazy to me but yeah you know it, it's just one of those things to where you know you and I can sit here and be like you know it's terrible like being stuck at home is being terrible like but mental health is a very important thing and I'm sure being at home and being locked in one place or one area for a long period of time is not healthy for anybody so it, there's definitely times where like I feel I feel the you know kind of mood swing happening over my head uh that is one of my side effects to my medicine so mm. I do feel like sometimes I have lows and highs and I don't think this situation helps but you know and a way to cope with it is that, you know, I have a house full of people and dogs and, you know, we, we watch stuff all the time. So I, I find stuff to always keep me busy unless I'm just a downright exhausted and I just sleep to where I just – that that's how I take my mind off it. And that's why movies are so important to me and you is that they help us take our mind off of things. And mm-hmm. you, you are right, though. Like, it, it is kind of weird knowing that, you know, after the theaters were closed and stuff, like, we're like, what, what are we going to – uh, um. And apparently, uh, my doctor is trying to tell us what they're watching. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, it's crazy knowing that, like, in the four month span, there have been more VOD releases than I have ever seen in my life. But <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, IFCs just always still emailing like, hey, this is coming out, or you know, I know the bigger critics are getting, you know, Netflix screeners, Disney Plus, all that stuff. It's just so I'm I'm glad to see it like still thriving. And you know, the good people that I actually like in this community, it's very few. But the good people I actually like in this community that Joel and I are in, you know, I'm glad they're still getting work and I'm still glad they're kicking butt, like our friend Mark and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just been, it's just, it, it, it's it's crazy because you're right. I don't know if we're gonna ever experience this again in our lifetime. Like this is yeah. absolutely insane to where like you know each week something new is happening, and so that's why you know I'm glad that we were able to do this, but. Joel and I have no idea what the future holds. Like, we, right. we could not do another episode for two years. We, we have no clue what's going to happen. But I think, I think that's, like, what I'm trying to get around with my, my <laughs> ping pong brain here is that with everything kind of going on, like, we want you guys to stay safe, stay healthy. If you want to, you know, contribute to all this civil unrest in a positive way, please do that. Like use your voice, use your power to do whatever you need to do. That is necessary. Stay safe and healthy doing it. But also like take this all week by week, take it day by day. Like it is very overwhelming to know that like this could go on for several more months, but just know that, you know, Joel and I will, we will continue to give you guys extra stuff every now and then. Like, you know, we'll try Like if you guys look to us, for like entertainment or whatever, like we will help you with that with as, as many reviews as possible, but mm-hmm. just take it day by day, week by week. And just, just kind of breathe a little bit. I know, I know it's hard to do. And I, that's, that's just my advice to people that are, you know, maybe not coping with it. Um, Cause I, listen, I had those days too, but I, I had to like, I think two months in is when I had to really realize that this is going to be our lives for a while. And so you have to kind of just, Just take it day by day and just see where it goes.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I went, and for me, I should tell people that, you know, I had that series about the top tens and that kind of suddenly came to a halt. Y'all haven't heard from me
0: in two months. Um, That's actually not the case. Joel said that he hated the years 2001 and 2000 so much that he didn't even want to touch them. So don't don't let him lie to you.
1: Once again, once again, we're back at a chase with his with his lies, with his lies <laughs> and 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 de- and defamation. No, um, they're, they're,
0: they're just truths, Joel. Just truths,
1: <laughs> right? I went back to work in May. Uh, there was a lot of employee turnover with that, and it was it was kind of crazy. And then a month later, something insane happened. I won't get into more more employee turnover, and you know I'd been wanting to finish those lists that I had started, um, but just didn't happen I didn't have the headspace and I also wanted to maybe try to do some glo- some uh some uh, some auto audio reviews I mean I can't talk some audio reviews again just didn't work out I never had the the headspace to try to figure something out there and yeah I mean it's just been all so incredibly awkward and um but you know we're here now we're here now I have seen some movies. I've been pretty consistently reviewing for spectrumculture.com. I've also had a couple of reviews for dallasmoviescreenings.com. Um and you know that's been that's been really nice to be able to have that uh but yeah, I mean un, undeniably weird, undeniably weird. And um so but let's get into this. We've got obviously we've got first our, our list of the worst films of the year so far. <laughs> Uh, we have to do that because we have seen some bad stuff. Um, that's part of the mid-year report. So even though this is supposed to be a uh, you know a good episode and all of that um, with our top fives so far this year, which we'll get to after the break. we did want to give you guys some of the some of the stuff that we haven't liked so much. Um, so Chase, I guess we'll go ahead and begin. We'll get in, we'll jump in with your number five. Uh, So what is your number five worst film of the year so far?
0: Yeah, so you know what's really funny is like I've seen a lot of movies uh, in in this kind of like four-month quarantine period, and a lot of them have just been kind of neutral or just average, and it was really kind of tough to pick ones that actually sparked some type of emotion out of me. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think if you guys go listen to my many reviews, you can probably pick out which ones uh, I definitely had a disdain for. But I think number five has to go to – while it be bold and while it'd be different and I wouldn't have mind if it was told a little bit differently is Capone. Um, ah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the way it was executed, but I do applaud the fact that, you know, Josh Trank decided to kind of go down this, this route of showing the final year of this man's life. And, you know, he's losing his mind at this point from uh, the dementia and just having all these, you know, kind of flashbacks of his life and the nightmarish scenarios it's basically like a horror version of al capone's life and like i said it's a very interesting way to tell it and i think the problem is it doesn't offer anything more than that it doesn't dive deep into this guy's like psychosis a little bit It just kind of like okay here's uh him imagining someone from his past is it real is it not oh here's another scene it's the same thing and so it gets kind of stale after a while and I what is tom hardy doing like he has like this like looney tunes like steroid injection that he probably did before he started shooting because he sounds like a a literal uh black and white era like mobster or something which is funny because they're in that era in this movie but like he overcooks it to a point where you feel like there's a sock stuffed stuffed in his mouth and you don't know what he's doing so i think it's just a It's a film that I I applaud for doing and just getting it out there as being told in a different way when when it comes to viral pics. But I just thought everything kind of missed the mark. Uh, The production Mm. design was was really well handled. But other than that, I can't really give Josh Trank a pass on this one.
1: I did not see this movie. Um, This was one that I think was just in that period of time where I wasn't watching 2020 releases yet after the shutdown and all of that. Um, And so I'm, I'm going to see it at some point. It it just sounds too weird for me to miss completely for the year. Um, But especially just from what I've seen of Tom Hardy's performance, which is like maybe 30 seconds, like a 30 second clip. Um, it, It totally looks completely insane. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've definitely heard some stories about this one. Uh, my number five though, <laughs> um, there's going to be a couple of movies here that are going to be a little bit challenging for me to remember, uh, because they came out before, like most of everything that's happened, happened. Um, like I think at this point, the most insane things that had happened were the wildfires and Kobe Bryant's death. Pretty sure. Maybe even Kobe Bryant hadn't died yet. So before coronavirus, before all of that, my number five film came out, and it was one that you did not see, and I did. Um, I originally had a plan to review it, and things kind of fell apart, but it came out at the, be- at the end of uh, January. It was a major horror film, um, one of two major releases on my list. Of course, I've got some VOD stuff coming, but my number five is The Turning, uh, from <laughs> director Florius Sigismondi. Uh, this one is the story of a, um, uh, a family who, who oh, I'm sorry, not a family, a, uh, a, a woman who moves in with a family to uh, tutor the kids of the family, played by Finn Wolfhard and um, uh, Brooklyn Prince. And the, the nanny is played by uh, Mackenzie Davis, and it essentially just becomes like one, one stupid uh, tr- uh, uh, attempt to be a, uh, a scare machine after another leading up to a really awful twist um, that completely rewrites everything we, we thought about the movie uh, up until that point, point. and then it just cuts to credits. Uh, there's, no, there's really no ending here. It, it kind of comes to a final thought and then cuts away. But it doesn't actually come to any sort of conclusion. And, um, you know, I'm struggling to kind of remember what the details of the twist were. It's not a very memorable movie. It's number five, probably because of that. Um, Or maybe it's just the events of the year have kind of pushed it out of my mind. But uh, the one good positive thing is that Brooklyn Prince is a total natural. She's a girl from the Florida Project, in case anybody doesn't remember that. But... um, She was great in that. She's really good in this. She's really good in Home Before Dark, which is the uh, series on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, So clearly a natural. But this is a really bad movie. It's bad material for her to be in. Um, It's just a movie to to play games with the audience and then leave them off on a really cruel note of uh, character hatred, really. It hates its characters. And it hates its audience. It thinks they're really stupid. So that is my number five
0: yeah i actually never saw that one i remember it was uh coming out around yeah it was the end of like edition of january Mm -hmm. and i think i i think i got an invite to it and i said no um but uh (laughs) yeah i was always curious to see what like what, what brooklyn would do uh you know post the florida project and kind of see like her career take off even if she does films like this it's like whatever um you know at this point like it's her parents really taking over her choices so you know they were doing what was right type of deal um as far as finn wolfhard i i really hope this guy gets back on track because uh, it seems like everything he does post stranger things is just really not landing well uh i.e the goldfinch uh, so it's just it's just <laughs> things like that where he really needs to kind of find um, a better path but you know one of these days i'll check it out just so i can see what the fuss is all about because i remember uh even before joel saw it like all the reviews online were just like, what was the ending? There was no ending. There was no third act. It's just like, so I just imagine yeah. that a film is like getting good. It's heating up and then it just cuts to black. And then you're like, and, cool, things.
1: And really, I mean, it's kind of that, except that it's really not very good before that either. <laughs> so as, as I remember it, I mean, it's just a bunch, literally just a bunch of scare sequences leading up to a non-ending. And it's just, it reminded me a lot of The Devil Inside. Uh, uh, oh, the one that where it said
0: go to the website. Uh, yeah, go to the website. Just without
1: the just without the website, so there isn't even anything to like laugh at, you know, super uh, ironically at the end there. Um, so that's a that's a good thing, I guess. That's a positive, but uh, that's that's the only that, and then of course Brooklyn Prince's performance. Those are the only positives. So That's why it's number five. It could be lower. Um, it's certainly dumb enough to be on this list. Maybe just you know. Uh, kind of at the at the bottom just because of Brooklyn Prince so which which you know every movie could be uh uh lucky to have her so um yeah all right well uh so your number four sir
0: so my number four you and I will differ on because I remember when you saw it and you oh. said that you you <laughs> liked it and I was like okay cool so I, I'm glad that we're gonna talk about this one later so um, oh boy. Yeah, it's, I know it's, what it is, too. Yeah, yeah. it's Sella in the spades. I, I just, yeah. I really, out of all the Amazon Prime stuff I've seen, uh, we'll get to one of them when we get to the best film so far. This is the the least favorite by far. Uh, I, I just thought this one didn't really have a direction in terms of where it wanted to go with its story. Really <laughs> just kind of showcasing a bunch of plot lines that really led to nothing. I honestly thought the ending was really weak and it just didn't really build up to anything. It was just kind of like, we're going to show you a bunch of different things within this kid's life. And then did she really learn anything? I don't really know. Did she uh, come of age? I don't really know. We're just going to roll the credits and maybe you can decide for yourself. But I will say that uh, uh, the young lady that played Cella, I think she has uh, definitely a career beyond this. I, I hope she does more stuff. Love uh, lovey Simone. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, and I, I'm i a big fan of, like, uh, Joel uh Jerome, uh, last name Jerome. Oh,
1: Gerald Jerome, yeah.
0: Jarell, so, like, you know, I plays seen, Maxie, right? And I've seen him in plenty of things, including the wonderful, uh, heartbreaking, um, you know, the uh, Central Five um, miniseries on Netflix. And so, yeah, I don't know, man. I just thought for for something that really felt like it was going to be like a different kind of uh, coming of age film and set in high school. I just thought it was trying too hard and really doing a lot and kind of balancing a lot and just not really picking its lane. And, uh, I also thought it was like a, uh, a very like off brand 13 reasons why we're like, I can acknowledge the trash in that show, but when movies are doing it and it really serves no purpose, then yeah, you're just, uh, trying to be like this edgy thing and it just doesn't really work for me. So, I I just thought everything was a complete misfire for me on this one uh, for the most part. So didn't click with me, Joel. So what do you guys say about that?
1: (laughs) I completely disagree with everything you're saying, except for the, the, what you said about Lovey Simone, who I think is a star in the making. I, I cannot wait to see what Terry Chapeau Poe has for us um, in future movies. I think she has a major eye. She was clearly inspired in part by brick uh, Ryan Johnson's film because that was also a post-modern neo, postmodernist neo-noir set against a high school. Uh, in this case, it was a private boarding school, but same difference. Um, for me, uh, I, I struggle to understand how this doesn't have a direction. I mean, a, a noir typically a noir film will build up to what we think is essentially a bunch of nothing, and that's what this movie does. It basically just sets up a, a puzzle and then solves it. But I think that what really has a um, – uh, had, the, had the impact for me was, in addition to Simone's performance, Gerald uh, Jerome, uh, Celeste O'Connor as this new member named Paloma who's trying to uh, kind of break into the group dynamic um, even though she's a freshman, all of that, uh, and the power dynamic that, that evolves in this school – uh, it's basically just, you know, it is a neo-noir. It's surprisingly violent. It's really uh, vulgar. It's extremely stylish, visually speaking. Um, and it's saying a lot about uh, power. Somebody who doesn't, who may not, you know, usually have it. Uh, this is a person who is getting a lot of privilege she might not otherwise have um, in, a, in a public school setting, maybe, and uh, taking it back. And I, I really like that about it. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, if you're not a super fond of the of the style, yeah, I mean, I guess you could get it. It wasn't a perfect movie, I, I, don't, I don't think, but I think it was just an incredibly uh, vivid and eye-catching debut feature, uh, especially being a debut. Uh, it only fell into the debut feature uh, problems a, a few times. But anyway, this is probably our biggest disagreement uh, this year. I, I think that otherwise we're pretty... And uh, I think I think I, I, we're I, pretty much...
0: I, I think you had an aneurysm when I said that Fantasy Island was just OK. Oh, right, right. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. One. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure yeah. we will. Um,
1: all right. So I will go now to my number four, uh, which is uh, a sequel that nobody will ever want to see uh, because it is a sequel to a movie that no one saw or probably has heard of. So, of course, I mean, it's extremely me to do this. I was telling Chase that I do have three movies on my list uh, of the worst films of the year that are VOD action thrillers. Uh, And, of course, I always have at least a couple on my lists. But, you know, just because of this year, I have quite a bit. (laughs) Um, So my number four is I Am Vengeance Retaliation uh, from director Ross Boyask. Uh, This is a follow-up to the 2018 film I Am Vengeance. Which starred Stu Bennett as a kind of an action hero, a, a, a stoic action hero named John Gold, which is a great which is a great name for somebody like this. I mean you think about James Bond, Jason Bourne, Jack Bauer. These are really strong names. John Gold cer- certainly follows in that uh, line, even though it's not JB. Um, it still follows in that line. But man, everything about these movies is just rote and visually flat and uh simply plotted and in this case it's uh you know following up the first film in which he just basically beat up a bunch of bad guys this one he is uh coming up against an old team member who's gone bad played by Vinny jones who's a who's a pretty significant name to attach his uh, name to this this kind of movie this sequel to a movie that nobody saw um i guess maybe it caught some sort of steam in europe i know it's a or, uh, or in London, maybe, it's a, uh, uh, or England, I'm, I'm coming up with places all over the place, um, maybe in England, because it is an English movie, uh, it's an English cast, English director, all of that, um, but man, I just hated almost everything about this, it has no reason to exist, the photography is uh, pedestrian at best, the action choreography is even less than that, um, it just has no reason to exist, and uh, so I, I can't, I can't figure out what the need for this movie is. I reviewed this for uh, SpectrumCulture.com, So, you know, I, I don't, I don't get paid for my writing, but at least I was able to give them some, uh, some, some people to click on a review. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do anything for them. They're great over there. So, you know, I played ball, but man, this is a, a bad, bad, bad movie. Um, could easily be higher on this list, uh, but it is, it's bad. So I know that you haven't seen this. I know that you probably have never heard of this. I know that you uh, are never gonna see this. So we'll just say, the, say that that's the, that is the that is the
0: fact and move on to your number three. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm never gonna see that one. Man, you, you don't know me uh, actually you do. So, uh, so with my number three, I. Uh, you know what's really funny is like when I was putting my list together uh, after I clocked out of work, I was like, "All right, there's a bunch of movies. I'm just, I'm just not a fan of, but I'm like, which ones like stack on each other? Like, which ones can I group as the five? And so, I had a few of them in there, and I think the more I thought about it, the more I realized I was probably in denial when I saw it, and when Joel saw it. That's probably how I really felt and I probably should have just been honest with myself because I think that when you're wasting that much money into a kid's film and it doesn't even like, I don't know, just have any reception towards anyone ever. Like, I didn't know any kid that liked this movie. I didn't know any adult that liked this movie. Uh, Even with the good old RDJ Robert Downey Jr. in the oh. role, it is very hard to like do little. And I think <laughs> when I first saw it, I said, oh, it was fine. But like, the more you sit on it, the more it just leaves like a sticky taste in your mouth. And you're like, you're like, what is this? Is it like expired? Like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, yeah, the effects are awful. As Joel put it best, what accent is RDJ like coming up <laughs> with in his drunken stupor on set? Like, you, he." floats in and out of it like you there's not even a um consistency with it um the adventure you know is is kind of lackluster uh it just it really just kind of misses the mark and you know for you know a film that was trying to like rebrand the doolittle uh name and like start something new and be like this new franchise for families just play the eddie murphy ones on disney plus like they're just as funny even today they have a lot of heart to it. They have a character that we we can enjoy going around yelling at animals and talking to them. Like it's just it's a more enjoyable movie. So like, and, and of course you have the older version that kicked it off uh, way back when. So you have plenty of other adaptations of this character than this one. It's just the more I thought about it, the more I just really, really, really did not uh, care for it. So. Yeah. If you want if you to watch anything from um, uh Robert Downey Jr and uh Susan uh Susan Downey, uh his wife and their company, uh Ghostly Search Party on HBO Max. It's probably the only thing from their company that I've enjoyed so far. So, they're they're getting there. It's a big step, Joel, but this is <laughs> not one of them. So, um I know I know you have some choice words for this one.
1: I do. It's not quite on my list, uh but it is Very bad. And you're completely right about Downey. I don't know what he's doing here with his voice. I I don't understand it. Um, Was he trying to maybe maybe he was like involved for a while and then was just like stuck in a contract and 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 had lost his enthusiasm for the project. And so he just decided, I'm just going to do a random weird Welsh accent that doesn't make any sense for the character.
0: I think what um, probably happened is that director Stephen Gagin was just like, all right, Robert, here's how I'm picturing Doolittle. Could you do it like Sherlock Holmes, but different? And he's probably like, Stephen, what do you mean by different? He's just like, Sherlock Holmes, but different. And so he's like, I, I can't really do anything with this information. I'm going to try it. And He does it. And he's just like, yeah, I'll, I'm going to go with that one.
1: And, yeah, I, I have seen two movies from Gagin, uh, who and neither of them were good at all. And the other one is going to surprise people because it did get some Oscar love. But I do not like Siriana, and that was a movie that he directed. And then he directs this, which is like the opposite of Siriana. Um, and, yeah, I just he – doesn't he's not good with actors. Uh, George Clooney won an Oscar for Siriana for reasons I don't understand. He was very good in it. Nobody was very good in that movie. It was all a bunch of confused politics. This is just a dreary, dreary family movie. Like, this thing pretends to have this big, like, you know, this big energy, but really it's not. It's a slog. It's a slog to get through, it has no sense of pacing.
0: The it's score. an hour and
1: forty minutes, by the way, and it
0: feels like it's oh, it three. feels
1: like it's too, It feels like it's about as long as the old version that you were talking about. The, <laughs> right, the, the Rex Harrison version is one hundred and fifty-eight minutes. It flies by. It's wonderful. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's wonderful. I watched and, that
0: one as a kid. And it it was, it was yeah. delightful.
1: It was delightful, and it doesn't feel its length because no. it because it knows how to pace, and the uh, and, and you know I enjoyed aspects of the Eddie Murphy ones, um, especially Eddie Murphy. I thought that he was fantastic. Some of the other stuff didn't work for me, but it worked way better than this. And um, yeah, I mean, basically I'm going to say this uh, because I was I was down on I was down on this other movie I'm about to say before I saw it. But if you want to see something that's that's trying to like be a big boisterous family, you know, adventure, keep with Sonic the Hedgehog. It's good. Trust me, it's good. It's actually good (laughs) and it's fun and the actors are having fun. And this is just absolutely dreadful uh, all the way through. It's probably my number six. You know, I was was thinking, okay, I had the middle of my list and my number one, like, locked. I knew that those were the movies. And then for my number five, I was like, well, I could beat up on a little guy. But I think I want to do another big movie since I have so many smaller, you know, people haven't heard of movies. And it came down between this and The Turning. And I decided to do The Turning because of how insulting that was. But yeah, I mean, it could easily be this. It's terrible. It's terrible, and um, yeah, again, I don't know what I don't know what Downey's thinking. It's easily his worst performance. Um, this is a guy who, you know, lit up the screen for ten years as Tony Stark, and now he's doing this, and it's just it's bad. So, all right, well, yeah, my... I just
0: want just <laughs> want to clarify one thing. Uh, I, I, I I spoke about the wrong show. Uh, his production company did Perry Mason, which is also great. I've been watching. Oh right, right, I've been watching too much HBO Max, and they're all just <laughs> blending together. But when I saw I saw their credits, I was like, "Oh, thank God, they finally put their name on something good." So Robert, yeah. if you're listening to me, please, 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 I... please step back, pr- produce more stuff behind the scenes, and let mm. smaller projects fly.
1: Yeah, I think it was. I think it's because he was supposed to originally star in Perry Mason, and it fell through because uh, I think that that was supposed to be his big first like tv project and then it got pushed back and then he went on to do do little because he was uh, probably because of <laughs> he had to because <laughs> he had to and then they had to go ahead and do a production so they got matthew reese yeah that's what i that's what i think happened there i haven't watched uh, perry mason yet i've heard very good things about it though um definitely need to watch that all right so my number three is yet another vod thriller title uh people probably won't have heard of and don't want to see because it's awful and that's the postcard killings uh, this one stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan as a detective, New York detective, who travels to, I think, Belgium, if I remember correctly. It might, it might not be. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember where he goes. But his daughter has been murdered in an incredibly gruesome way. She's one of a series of murders uh, done by a particularly twisted uh, individual who likes to murder and then uh, dismember and pose in weird, crazy Disgusting ways the bodies of his victims, and she is the latest one. Um, that includes, by the way, mixing and matching body parts of different vi- victims. So, not all of her is present when they find her. Um, I'm just going to stop talking now. But anyway, uh, he has a wife um, in the movie, played by uh, Man, I don't remember. Oh, Fonka Janssen, uh, who's barely there, just there to be a wife uh, until the script needs her late in the movie. Um, but it also stars Kush Jumbo, uh, who is kind of big right now um, on TV. She's also been in The Good Wife. And, uh, yeah, it's really bad. The mystery isn't a mystery at all. It's, it's completely obvious. Uh, it moves at, like, it, basically, basically, if this had gone to theaters, think of this, uh, Chase. If this had gone to theaters, I think it would be this year's answer to The Snowman uh it's very similar in the way that it uses this really like frigid frosty surrounding uh to tell this story or setting to tell the story that's a, a labyrinth uh through a mystery that you don't care about getting to an answer that's completely obvious that you also don't care about and the actors are all sleepwalking through their roles it is probably of this list the most boring thing i've seen this year uh in, in that it just does not engage with the, the audience at all. It's overly, like, grisly in its violent content in a way that I think is really off-putting. Yeah, postcard postcard killings, not one, when, not one you want to see, not one you're ever likely to see, Chase. You probably didn't know about it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that is my number three. And, yes, that is another Joel choice. Uh, I got one more coming. So, yeah, that's my number three.
0: Yeah, I like how uh, in that entire thing, I, I just kind of blanked out why you're talking about it because it didn't interest me. But <laughs> you, had the, you had the gall and you had the nerve to bring up. The snowman. Probably, yeah, the, it's probably one of the, the most effective double features of the opposite spectrum you and I ever experienced. Because if people don't know this, we didn't tell this story. Uh, we saw the Florida Project on day one. and We're like, wow, that's fantastic can't wait to see the snowman and then we left that theater <laughs> and, we were, and we were
1: and we were excited existence. by the way we were excited yeah, for we the were. snow for the snowman i mean remember when it was promising and really looked good i mean we were like man david fincher director of and, and, i mean not that it is david fincher but it's david fincher-esque you know director of uh, let the ride One in and tinker taylor i mean we were excited for that and yeah this is this is not directed by anybody we know i know that he's done work over in um uh, man, I don't remember what country he's from. Germany, maybe. Um, certainly, an Eastern European country. But yeah, uh, it is just a just a, bun- a bungled mystery all the way through, and I, I strongly disliked it. So we can move on.
0: What is your number two? <laughs> yeah, I, I was just gonna say you can find that on uh, Quibi. Uh, <laughs> You get, or or crackle, uh, whatever one, it, uh, whatever joke it you could, like better.
1: It could be told in the space of a quibby thing, uh, probably. <laughs> I mean, that is that is how little story there is.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Maybe we should pitch that to him before they go to business. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, the second one, um, you know, I love IFC, I really do. And you know, the cool thing with them, and even their their midnight brand, is that you just never know what you're gonna get. I I love. The, the rep that I'm in contact with with the IFC is every single time when she sends out the mass email to everyone, I look at it. I'm just like, that looks interesting. I'm going to go for it. And there has been some where I've ripped it to shreds and I'm actually surprised they still let me to do this. Um But, you know, when I review stuff like this uh and it's one of the bigger hit reviews, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, no, this is going to be the day that IFC uh, takes me off the list. (laughs) Uh, The movie in question is The Other Lamb. And luckily, when I put my review up, uh, usually IFC movies do really well. I don't know why that is. But uh, with this one, uh, it it was overwhelmingly, like, in favor of what I was saying. Mm. So it was great to know that people were seeking it out just to confirm their beliefs and be like, "Hell yeah, man, this movie sucks." Um, but yeah, so the other lamb, it uh kind of focuses on like this all-female cult. We follow this character uh here's a callback, Sella. um <laughs> and she is kind of like questioning the um you know, cult leaders' like teachings and questioning her own reality and maybe she'll be able to find the confidence to leave this thing cuz obviously as an audience member, we can see that this is super uh, crazy. And like, I can't believe anyone would fall for this, but that's how cults work. People are brainwashed, but she's at the right age to her. Like, you know, she can kind of be like, uh, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to go ahead and see like what I can do to get out of here. And, uh, Raffy Cassidy is the, um, young lady that plays the main character. I just thought this film was like, if someone took Midsommar hereditary in uh, any other cult movie that we've seen in the past five years you blend it and you're like isn't this creepy isn't this cool and you do nothing with it now someone can make the argument that Samar does that and my counter argument would be well at least that one actually has some character work to it we understand why she is you know grabbing onto this cult um uh we understand why she feels alone in the world and why no one in her life um, is there and supportive. Like she needs to find someone to love. And she unfortunately gets wrapped up into this nightmare uh, from Florence Pugh's character. But in this one, it's just kind of like, she's wandering around. She's like, Oh, that's not right. She'll have a nightmare. She'll wake up. She'll go to the next activity. Oh, that's not right. Nightmare. Wake up. It's like a, it's just a, re- a repetitive. and, Yeah, some of the cinematography is cool. Uh, Some of the nightmare sequences are effective. But when you are an hour or so deep into your movie and you don't have a point and you don't have a narrative to really kind of hold on to, it's just sequences at that point. It's just scare sequences. It's uh, creatively shot sequences. Uh, Some of them are creepily lit. But, like, that's not enough. Just because you have atmosphere it uh, doesn't mean your story's there too. If you want to go with one or the other, then you're going to suffer as an entire film. But if you want to have both, then you can have something. But I just thought this was atmosphere over um, story. Didn't really do anything for me. And I was looking forward mm-hmm. to it too. I I don't know why I'm, I have like a fascination with like cult movies now, but I think it is because of, you know, what Astor has done with like, you know, stuff like a Hereditary or like a, a Midsommar where it's like, that kind of uh, rejuvenizes people's interest in like this subject matter. And, you know, docu-series are on the rise and true crime stories. So like, it's like, this stuff is what people yearn for, but like, my God, it's like, I wanted that thing to end like 20 minutes in. And by the time it was done, I was so angry. I just shut my computer off and went to sleep pissed. And I probably had a nightmare that (laughs) night and I woke up and, just had a bad start to my my day, Joel. That's just that's just not how it's supposed to happen. But uh, yeah, the other lamb is uh, pretty bad.
1: Well, this is another one I haven't
0: seen. Um, interestingly
1: enough, you disagree with a lot of critics about this one. You're, uh, I think it's in the 70s on Rotten Tomatoes. But yeah, I mean, I I uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't I can't comment. Um, I guess I'll see it at some point. I'm sure that it's IFC, so I'm sure that the DVD will show up on my uh, shelf at work. If
0: I I had to make a prediction, I think you would be... I don't think you'll be enamored with it. I think you'll be fine with it. You'll probably like it a little Mm, bit more than me, but I don't think you're going to love it.
1: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Well, my number two, you know, I I said that I had three of these kind of off-the-wall VOD thriller things, and my number two is the most appalling of those (laughs) it's called disturbing the peace uh and this one is from director york alec shackleton which is a great name uh for a director but he hasn't made a great movie uh this one stars uh guy pierce as a lawman in texas i think i can't remember where he is but i think he's in texas uh who gets involved who gets like caught up in a in a battle you know war kind of thing with this uh, gang leader played by Devin Sawa, who has a very complex history with the very small, seemingly uh, only occupied by 20 people town that Pierce is the, uh, the sheriff of. Um, and of course, he has, a, he has a relationship with his own gun that's very complex, too. He doesn't want to use it. Um, it's just basically Shackleton also directed this movie a couple years ago. I had it on my bottom 10 of the year list called 211 with um, with Nicolas Cage uh, very much in the same vein as I Am Vengeance Retaliation. It's extremely pedestrian in terms of the photography, sound work, the visual effects even are um, like the little uh, spurts of light that they would insert into the camera lens, I guess, to to denote gunshots from uh, Burdemic. Those are here. Um, I don't know why that is the case, but anyway, it's really bad. It's really just very predictable. This is another one that I don't really super remember very well. I saw it early in the year. Um, but I seem to remember that nobody comes out of this thing unscathed. I mean, Pierce is pretty bad. Um, yeah, I, that's all I really have to say about this. Uh, Sawa... I guess at least knows that, that he, well, I guess the best thing is that they know what kind of characters they're playing. Uh, they have a firm handle on what material they're, they're working with, but they really just kind of match the movie, which is to say that they're not good. They're just not embarrassing themselves like everybody else here. Um, there's some truly, truly awful action sequences here. Um, you never really know who's shooting whom, for what purpose. Sometimes they flip the, the camera angles in certain ways so that it confuses it even more. Anyway, it is really, really bad. And that's my last like obscure title. I've got a, I've got a major release here at the top. We've probably already given it away earlier, but, um, but yeah, that's my last obscure title. So, Chase, are you running to watch this now? Uh, no.
0: Uh, I, have, I have a huge question for, like, Devin's uh, agent. Why are you forcing him to be in stuff like this and the fanatic? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> Do you want to watch this man suffer? I mean, I, I – maybe,
1: maybe he's got some, some bills
0: to pay off. I, I, know, I think man. what happened is that uh, ever since he started Final Destination, he's just had a cursed career. Uh oh. that makes total sense. So Maybe
1: death maybe death is trying to
0: kill him <laughs> Kills very, Peter. very, very slowly. That, that's, that's gonna be a, going out for his career. Yeah, now, that's though. gonna be Joel's opening line as a stand up comic, like, hey, that Devin Sawa, right? You no. Know, it seems like after Final Destination, Death is coming after his career and then he gets nothing but booze and then kicks out of the club. So um yeah, I just think it's funny that like you know, you and I grew up with Devin Sawa, like with like Casper and like mm-hmm. little giants and like Final Destination is one of my favorite horror films of all time. It still makes me freaked out to go on a plane. That man has made an impact, but it is just so weird to see stuff like the fanatic and stuff like what you just described. And you're like, what is he doing? I mean, I guess you're right though. He's got that Nicholas Cage itch and he's got to go pay off some bills. Yeah. uh, Good for him. Uh, I mean, I I guess it's a good it's a good method if you're getting like
1: seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, a pop, right? Or exactly. Whatever. So, that's pro- That's probably exactly uh, some people's, you know, uh, payment for that. Exactly. So, so you know,
0: one one movie could last you the entire year. So, Devin, you know what? Yeah. You do you. Um, but I, I had to I had exactly. to ask you. Uh, so your movie was set in Texas.
1: I think it was. I honestly don't remember where it was set. It may not have been. It felt like Texas to me. Oh,
0: congratulations, because uh, my number one worst film that I've seen this year is also set in Texas. And I know exactly what movie it is, too. It's the only one that you've had this kind of reaction to. <laughs> it's so great. It was clear. It was clearly. Your, your, your oh, thing. it's so great. So and I, I'm going to be very easy on it because I'll explain why in just a second. But here's the plot to Lone Star Deception. That is the actual title, and it stars Eric Roberts, so you already know what type of movie it's going to be. So, <laughs>
1: <clears throat> Hey now, hey now, Academy Award nominee Eric Oh, I don't Edwards. care. I don't know if you knew I, that, but he I, is. I, I don't
0: care, Joel. When he's done a slow movies like this, his whole career is just done. Yeah. So, there we go. so exactly. here's here's what this movie is about. <clears throat> Stuart Sagel is leading in the race for governor of Texas. But a fling with a prostitute threatens to derail his campaign. Uh, His biggest supporter, his uncle Bill, has a plan that puts a second candidate, Tim, into play. And Tim finds himself as the first black candidate for governor in Texas history. Thrust into circumstances he neither understands nor controls, Tim weeps his way past assassination attempts and faces own demons as he decides to quit the race. Right away to the state house or die trying. That is exactly what IMDB says, and I love it. <laughs> that whole die trying part gives me a giggle. Okay, so you're probably wondering what's the vibe of this movie? And I kid you not, and there's a reason why I had a blast with it. It's the room, it is the room levels type stuff without the accent. And the cinematography is trash, the framing is trash. The acting is trash. The story is insane. Like, it's, it's one of those, like... <laughs> I, love how the, I love how direct that was. The story is insane. It, it's, just, it's just insane, Joel. <laughs> I can't really... I can't even really remember what I saw, but I remember that whole experience from top to bottom. There were scenes where I had to stop and rewind because I was like, what was that? Like, stuff is, like, edited <laughs> weird. It's, like, stuff is inserted into the sound design that's just so awkward. I have a friend who uh, composes uh, that th- this is his actual job. He composes music for, for commercials, projects, whatever his agent can get him. Right. There were several scenes where he busted out laughing. Cause it would be like Eric Roberts, like walking toward towards a plane on a tarmac. And like the music would be like, and like, it would be like this most like random score. That's like bedded underneath it. That would come in at random times. I laughed every single time. Uh, just to let you know, there are 19 ratings on IMDb, by the way. Not many people have seen this. But if you want something hilarious, uh, unintentionally hilarious, I actually think they were, like, going for something serious here. If you want something to just kind of laugh at, have a drink to, relax. Take the night off. Forget about your life for an hour and 46 minutes. This one's a good one. You know, it's on – It's on. Uh, it's on Prime, so if you have Prime, go for it. Um, are you going to possibly waste an hour and 46 minutes of your life? Yeah, you will. But <laughs> at, at least like, if you're bored like to a point where like you literally have quote-unquote nothing to watch, this one's a pretty good one. Um, I definitely had a, a drink while I was watching this, and I knew as soon as they sent me the email and they asked if I wanted to review it, I was like, first of all, I'm going to be one of the few people online that has a review for us, that's cool. And two, just by looking at the poster, it is atrocious. Like, I, I went to school where there were graphic design majors, and even the bad ones at that school could do better than the poster that I'm looking at right now. It is bad. It's the type of stuff that makes you go, wow, someone got paid to put this together. But you know what? I appreciate them. Because it sets the tone for the movie, and when I pressed that beautiful play button and I watched the whole thing, I had fun with it. It's a terrible, awful movie in every single way, shape, and form. But you know what? It's on the room level, and I love movies like that, so I can appreciate (laughs) it. And they got more gumption and balls than me, because I've been wanting to make a short film, another one for like the longest time. People are out there doing it, even if it's garbage. People are still doing it, so I applaud them. But it is still a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, so while you were talking, I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes,
1: and no critic reviewed oh. it. Oh, no critic. Oh, thank God. Uh, which is which is insane. I can't think of the last time that's happened with anything. So yeah, that's pretty insane. Uh, well, I've I have not seen it. I might see it before like the end of the year, just to see what you're talking about. But, uh, Joel, what I want we'll, you to do we'll, we'll is see. since you're
0: since you're a night owl, I want you to watch it when you're like borderline tired, and maybe you could watch it like <laughs> in your delirious state, and maybe you'll get a kick out of it.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, my number one pick for the worst film of the year so far, we already kind of gave it away. Uh, we hinted at this, but my number one was pretty clear. It was pretty clear. It was it was much worse than anything else I've seen. Um, not completely worthless, because at least the camera was pointed in the right direction <laughs> um, during Fantasy Island. Uh, you know, I, I flash back to 2018, I think is when it came out, Truth or Dare, when we reviewed this, is, this has the same director, jo- uh, Jeff Wadlow. Uh, <clears throat> when, we, when we reviewed that, I think you had it as your worst film that year, or it was definitely near the top. Um, And, you know, for me, it was a situation of enjoying the premise, feeling like there was some uh, type of um, potential there and that, you know, a couple of interesting scenes. uh, But it was mostly it it was mostly a, a, a pretty dreadful thing. It wipes the floor with Fantasy Island, a film I think is infinitely worse um, but the the concept here is that a bunch of strangers uh, or people we think are strangers uh, arrive on an island and then are put like under the, the purview of this guy played by, played by Michael Pena who says you know your fantasy will play out here as a real thing that you see and so you have one girl is like wants to have revenge on her high school bully so it turns out that they actually kidnap the bully and bring her there, and she tortures her, which is an awful thing that doesn't at all sympathize with us with the character, but whatever. And then you have, like, a soldier who's, who's uh, the only survivor or something of, of, of an attack, and he has weird feelings about his dad, so there's... And who was also a war hero, and so there's the thing there. And, uh And I just got tired of talking about the plot. Anyway, it, it basically is just a bunch of really unsympathetic um, total, like, just terrible characters being part of this weird, surprisingly violent and deeply dislikable plot in which they all kind of take control of their own fantasies and then it leads up to a twist that completely ruins any kind of goodwill we had for one of the characters, Even remotely, even though it didn't really start us out with that character very well in the first place, it really just absolutely torpedoes anything that we might have in any way that resembles any kind of um, uh, connection to the plot. And then it, you know, just kind of teases maybe a sequel, uh, which is never going to happen. And I just deeply loathed this movie. I think I gave it a D minus, again because at least it was directed. Um, yeah, that was that's my that's the way of putting it. At least, again, at least the camera was in the right direction, and at least it had crisp cinematography, and that's about it. Um, so that is my pick for number one. I know that you think it's okay at best. I mean, that's that is equivalent of a war crime, but that's okay. That's you. Uh, Joel, I don't, I don't kidding. like you. But, I don't
0: like you going as hard as you are on my man, Jason Blum. Like I just, I won't accept this. Like, he, he's made some garbage, he, but like
1: he should, he should have taken. He should have instead of releasing the movie in theaters, he should have released the movie into a pit in the ground. Oh
0: wow! Um, <laughs> for no
1: one to see, <laughs> for no one to see, and then buried it. And then left the planet on which he buried it because it wasn't Earth. That's that's what I think he should have done. I
0: will. I will. Um, let's let's just agree that uh, Jason Blum should not give any more leeway, uh, creative freedom, or financial stability to Jeff Wadlow.
1: Oh my and God! Lucy no, Hale,
0: it, and Lucy Hale. And Lucy Hale. Oh oh yeah. They're done. She was also awful in *Truth or yep. Dare*.
1: And she was, I mean, she's not, it's not like she's, she's a bad actress. She's been okay it's before. Just those
0: projects are terrible. But
1: apparently Jeff Wilder <laughs> doesn't direct her very well. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I liked Kick-Ass 2, and that's the movie he directed. Yeah, I like that one I as well. I haven't, I haven't liked anything else he made. So, I, I feel like he is just, you know, he has a particular kind of skill set that he hasn't discovered yet. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh at that. I couldn't, I, I broke. I, I'm, I'm very proud of that one. Um, but yeah, I just hated this so much. And I was surprised by how much I did too. Because I feel like there's an interesting kernel of an idea here to make Fantasy Island into a horror thing. I mean, if you turn a fantasy around on his head, it's something horrible, right? So it might as well do that. But man, this movie just takes the worst ideas and moves through with them and it's just bad. So yeah, that's my number I'm one. I'm glad to know <laughs> that both of our
0: number ones are like, you got furious at yours and I laughed during mine. <laughs> yeah. Mine was
1: definitely not a laugh at. Like I didn't laugh at this one. Um, and usually if I have strong feelings and I don't laugh at a movie, it's zero stars. I can't really go there with, go there with this. I mean, it isn't, it isn't so like aesthetically incompetent that I could give it an F and that's really the only reason that it's not at an F. I mean, it is, there's a lot of things about this movie that belong to F grade movies and that, and it's way too close to that for, for comfort. I have a feeling this is going to stay at number one, especially in this weird year with a lot of, you know, non-releases that I'm not watching. Um, it's going to stay number one for a while. Um, that's what I, that's what I suspect unless of course, like Lone Star Deception or whatever, um, decides to overtake it but even then i mean it sounds like that movie's more fun than this one so you know could be that this one stays there and uh yeah it is it is bad stuff all right well that is our list of the worst films of 2020 so far after a quick break we're going to come back and talk about our picks for the best films of 2020 so far so get ready folks it's going to be a lot of fun we've seen some good stuff for sure And uh, I don't know Chase's list, I have an idea about what's on there, but I'm definitely excited to see what what made his list, and uh, yeah, we'll be right back, folks. Welcome back, everybody, and you just heard our picks for the worst films of 2020 so far, and it's time to talk about the best. Um, and you know, it's weird for such a strange and unusual to say the least year, I got to say, I like my top five. Um, it's a diverse group with not one of these movies is even remotely similar to another one. Um, and they're all fantastic. I just, I really like my group of movies and not one of them really actually came out in a theater uh, except for no no no, one of them did came out in a theater a physical theater for longer than a week and that's just you know goes to show the times that we're living in but it also goes to show that since the shutdown of everything it's been it's been a pretty solid period of time for movies for almost every other reason not so much but for movies it's been pretty good and um but chase let's get into yours uh uh did you find it difficult to make this list um or did you feel pretty confident in it
0: i feel pretty confident i I mean it's like you said we've we've seen a handful of movies over the past four months and like a lot of them have just been kind of like wading through the movie waters and they're just kind of like they're just kind of sitting there they're floating but like none of them have like you know exceed our expectations or none of them have really stuck out besides these five tour was like okay this was super easy for me i remember watching this and and uh really loving it boom 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 uh you know just to run run through them real quick with like 10 through 6 you know like bad education or come to daddy baby teeth 7500 uh the wretched those are all films that i like quite a bit they just didn't make it. Um, but the five that I, I think I chose really just kind of uh, it's like you said, they they're so different from one another. That's what makes this list kind of awesome, because like each one of them are its own separate genre and like own separate style. and It's just it's really awesome.
1: All right. Well, tell us what your number five is.
0: So I think my number five is uh, it's also kind of sentimental because it was the last film I actually did see in a the theater, uh, which was Emma. Uh, it's it's a really just pleasant uh, film to watch about, uh, you know, this young woman, Emma, who is just <laughs> kind of fishing around all of her friends' relationships and just setting people up, um, just kind of going from person to person, just kind of talking with them, get to know them and everything. And it's funny. It's uh, delightful. Uh, the performances are really well done. The production design and costume design, like with any Jane Austen adaptation, is always exquisite. Um, yeah, it's just it's something that really caught caught me off guard because I haven't really watched much of uh, Austin's adaptations. Yes, I know even the popular ones, <laughs> um, but this was my first ever one, ever I think, in, in theaters and in just in general. And after we got done watching Emma, we watched the Pride and Prejudice uh, miniseries uh, with uh, Colin Firth, and that one, you know. It was a little long for my taste, but you know, that's why they make movie versions of that because maybe sometimes you just need a couple hours. But with Emma, it, it just, I, I it, it was that very kind of like very sad button, uh, you know, with the movie theater experience because I knew leaving that theater that day, it was probably going to be the last one for a while. But you know, that theater experience does kind of elevate it just a little bit more than. Some of the rest of these movies, Um, but I think just as an overall film, you can't go wrong with it. It's just, it's really hard to get mad at. It's just one of those delightful films that just brings a smile to your face. And uh, good old Anya Taylor-Joy, she's just fantastic as a lead uh, in this film. And this is, I think, is a perfect example of a film that if you had never heard of her or you never had seen anything that she's done, which would be shocking to me. I think this would be a pretty good one to start with. So uh, Emma uh, period is my number five.
1: <laughs> Emma period. Um, I am kind of in the minority on this. I caught up with it on Blu-ray um, and I felt a little detached from it as an experience of a Jane Austen adaptation. I felt like it was really rushing through the material. Um, I like Taylor Joy a lot in this role. And I just wish the movie kind of gave her a little bit more, gave the story a little bit more heft and it's a comedy, but it's not this, this frizzy a comedy. Uh, I don't know if that's a word, but fizzy fizzy. That's what I meant. Fizzy a comedy. Um, it's definitely fun to see everybody work around the Austin dialogue, but that's, that's really all I connected to here. Um, I'm, I'm in the minority on it. I understand that. Um, for my number five, you know, I'll I'll, be, I'll kind of uh, lead into it with my own ten through six, but my number five is completely different. Uh, it's not a movie that you've seen, but um, you know, for my ten through six, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a struggle. You know, which one of my ten through five do I put at number five? You know, you're you're almost pushing one out to make room for another one, um, and that'll happen at the end of the year with number ten as well. It's always that last number on the list that's um, that is the trickiest, but, you know, I did, I did really like a number of movies this year and my 10 through six, you know, I had sell in the spades. We've already talked about that being one of your worst. Well, it's one of my 10 best. Sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but um, number nine is the hunt. I stand by it. I think it's fantastic. Last movie I saw in full in theaters. Um, I did see, or I did try to see windy in theaters, but I had to leave halfway through. Um, complex reasons, but the hunt was the last thing I saw in full. And um, I really, really thought it was a ton of fun, very bloody, very taboo in a lot of different ways. Um, Really throws a lot of ideas at the wall. I thought it was fantastic. Blow the man down really cool kind of Cohen brothers in the, in the like um, in the new England er, uh, area of America. Um, Really liked that as well. Uh, VFW, kind of has an asterisk with all the production stories which are insane and horrifying but um whatever the case i stand by the movie being a lot of extremely gory um fun a bunch of war veterans take on um the opioid epidemic in incredibly literal ways with with gangs and stuff and there's a lot of violence and then also uh, corpus christi uh one of the 2019 best foreign language film nominees got a 20 got a 2020 release and that one is also fantastic it's an interesting study of faith about a guy who decides to fake being a priest even though he wants to become a priest and because of that he also ends up changing a lot of lives for the better but it also leaves a big question mark about his own life and the lie that he's told to get there really interesting movie um that was my number six. it was also my it was almost my number five, but for my number five, I went with a real curious animated movie from Chile called La Casa Lobo, otherwise known as the Wolf House in the u s um and this is kind of a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood um with a specific cultural and historical context attached to it, and uh, it's also extremely um non-literal and very non-linear but also extremely non-literal in its approach so this girl has been has tried to escape from uh colonia dignidad which is a cult in chile led by a, um, a, a group of germans who are extremely like cult of personality types and this girl tries to escape named uh, I think Maria is her name. She tries to escape, and then she is captured and sequestered off into a house for a 100 days with no contact with the outside world. Um, and she kind of starts to go insane. So like the wolf in this story in the little Red Riding Hood adaptation we're looking at here, could be a number of things. It could be a literal wolf, maybe. never know. It's a house out in the woods. It could be the leader of the cult. Obviously that's a, that's a, uh, the, that's the likeliest scenario. It could be the house itself, which comes alive, um, with faces and voices through animation. I'll get to in a second. And it also could just really be the mindset that leads the group to be a group and for her to be in this position. Um, it's all very, you know, suggestive and, um, uh, um, I'm losing the word, but anyway, it's fantastic. And it utilizes this animation. That's essentially like a moving diorama. So like if a character moves they're they're a paper made object um, with a lot of paint and glue and all of that. And when they move, the directors have actually will actually remove the appendage that they've moved and it'll show up and it'll actually grow out of their body in a different position. And then meanwhile, in, in, uh, like visitors and invaders of the house will show up as giant faces chalk drawn on the walls speaking to her. Um, and it's all done with this hushed narration. There's only really two, two voice actors in it. Uh, there's, no, there's no other characters except for this girl and the wolf so to speak, or the leader of the cult. We don't know who, what he is. Um, I've forgotten their names. They're not, they're not well-known or anything, but they're, they're, uh, it's a tremendous job at uh, complementing the style of the movie, which is unlike anything I've ever seen in an animated movie before. It's short. I think it's only like 70 minutes, uh, but it left a huge impact on me um, just as a piece of animation that's really unforgettable. And um, certainly worth checking out if you have the patience for an extremely non-American or non-traditional, if you're not American then and and you're still into traditional stuff. This is not Pixar. This is not anything that you've ever seen um, before. And it is fascinating to watch. Um, It's in virtual release right now. Um, I forgot to look up who's doing it. I can do that real fast, but... But obviously, there are a number of theaters that are hosting uh, virtual releases of movies right now, just just to keep themselves afloat. And this is one of those cases. Um, In this case, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. uh, It's through a distributor called uh, Kimstim, and so uh, you can go to kimstim.com/slash/film/slash/the-wolf-the-dash-wolf-dash-house-dash-virtual, and you'll be able to find out how to support some of the theaters that are hosting it if they are right now i'm pretty sure they are i don't think that it's been moved off to any other kind of distribution method but it's fantastic i reviewed this one for uh, spectrumculture.com another one for them and uh yeah it was fascinating so chase i know that you haven't seen this have you even heard of this movie
0: no but i mean i've I've always been fascinated with just animation as a as an art form so anything that's like different from a traditional like 3D, you know, model animation like Pixar or Dreamworks whoever, I am all for it like I always want like animation variety in my uh, you know, my diet and so yeah. I think this one sounds uh, pretty cool.
1: It is it is really fascinating stuff for sure and uh certainly worth checking out. So that is my number 5. Uh, all right. What is your number
0: 4? So my number 4 uh it, it's a great kind of lead up to it because you know I put sell it in the spades uh in my worst you know that's the my least favorite you know amazon prime uh, movie that's been released in this uh quarantine um i'm kind of like with joel it didn't make my top 10 but i liked uh blow the man down um you know it's not like my favorite or anything but i enjoyed it for what it was i really liked uh 7500 the joseph gordon levitt uh film where he's literally just in a cockpit for an hour and a half and it's pretty fascinating to keep your um attention and just the the kind of like acuteness of that direction just like it needs to be like sharp and so uh uh that seventy five hundred is a really good one I recommend it but my favorite one uh from Amazon Prime uh it is my number four The Vast Night it is mm. uh, quite an experience um just watching that thing uh it's definitely my favorite original screenplay so far um this year It's very dialogue heavy. It shoots like a bullet. It's just constantly moving. There are several shots where it's just these actors talking. It doesn't cut away. It's, you know, these kind of like long one shots that just breathe out and just let these characters kind of roll with this situation. It's uh, taking place during the twilight of the 1950s. And on one fateful night in New Mexico, a young switchboard operator and charismatic radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency that could change their small town and future forever. So yes, it deals a lot with, you know, um, you know, maybe alien sightings, uh, you know, alien recordings and just kind of like the mysterious nature of all of that. But the cool thing with this one, maybe besides like the last bit of the movie, it doesn't show anything. It relies a lot on dialogue and stories Mm. from these characters in this town to kind of push the story. It's almost like watching various campfire sequences And them going around town, interacting with people, and them telling them what they saw when they were a kid. Or, you know, what they are hearing right now and how they can get other people to confirm what they're hearing and all this stuff. It's just, it's all talking for the most part. And it's just really fascinating to see these characters kind of interact with each other and really kind of nail down what's going on. But it's definitely a beefy movie when it comes to dialogue. Um, The script is just, it's on point and I absolutely... Love it. It's a very fresh take on the science fiction kind of alien, you know, uh, genre. It's not like I said, like your traditional one. It takes it in a more um, kind of smaller approach, which is totally fine. Uh, And yeah, I I think especially for like the 1950s, the way this movie looks is um, kind of astounding uh, just from the production design. And the the visual eye of the film in terms of the cinematography has kind of a a haze over it it's not necessarily film grain but it has a haze over it and at first i thought it was because it was out of focus but it's actually um it actually adds a lot to the kind of visual aesthetic of it making it seem like this kind of an old dusty film that you mm. would get from the attic and you would play and you'd be like oh wow this was documented from the 1950s this is kind of cool but uh yeah it's like a mixture of like a like a glow and a grain that's kind of on it it's a it's a very unique Kind of presentation, but yeah it's um like i said it 's very different from other alien movies that you 've seen, but if that 's something that 's kind of up your alley, more science fictiony and you know more uh dialogue uh focused, I think you'll get a real kick out of it, it like imagine since it is dealing with uh um a switchboard operator and a radio d j just imagine you know the the good old days of when like people would read world war War of the Worlds on the radio mm-hmm. i mean that 's mm-hmm. what it was kind of like the entire movie. Um, and so I really enjoyed the vast of night, uh, definitely my highest recommendation for all the prime stuff that's released so far. Um, yeah, I I liked that one quite a bit.
1: I need to catch up with most of the prime stuff, but I did, I did catch up with this this week and it is, it's everything you say. Um, I, I don't know how deeply I connected with it on an emotional level, uh, as a story. I think that it is a lot of fun though. And I think that it's probably going to be easy to downplay just how much fun it is to watch this thing because it is just pure craft. It's, I think it's a, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a directorial debut. If and it's it
0: really impressive.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and, and the long takes you're talking about, I mean, the it's, it's kind of sneaky because there's this extended shot where this main, the main character, the girl played by Sierra McCormick, um, who is also in VFW by the way. Uh, so kind of a good year for her so far. Um, she is talking like to multiple people over the radio. She's, you know, trying to confirm a story. She's, she's uh, partnering up with a radio host. She's checking on other people through other, like through other people. She's calling multiple people at the same time. She's operating the switchboard. And all it is, is the, is the camera just slowly like, you know, moving into her face. And it's what maybe, is it like, 10 minutes, maybe even longer than that. Um, it, it, it,
0: was, it, it was so long, in fact, that I actually like my mind left the movie for like two seconds just to acknowledge the
1: that fact we're that still it was on keeps, the same thing.
0: And like I got back into it, but it was yeah, insane and, to watch. And,
1: and good on McCormick for remembering all that dialogue. I mean, that's that is the uh, and all the cues and everything. I mean, that is that is great acting right there. Um, but again, I think it's going to be, I think that this is a perfectly acceptable piece of old school, old Hollywood. They don't make it any more like this entertainment. And I think that people will, will really need to check this out. I mean, it is, um, it does move at a, at a, at a, very, very swift pace dialogue wise shot wise, you know, it is more deliberate in terms of the long takes we're talking about, but in terms of characters talking intelligently And, um, and unraveling this mystery that's really interesting and all of these stories that are being told by these different characters, it is a radio show as movie, like you were saying, I mean, it is war of the worlds and as a, as a visual thing. And I I don't know how well they, they get over the, the, the hurdles of doing that. Um, this is going to be a movie that I need to revisit and I have no problem with that idea. Uh, with revisiting it, I think it's imminently watchable, and um, I think you're yeah. right
0: though. It has like the funness of like a Steven Spielberg kind yes. of approach, but yeah, it's yeah. just not as big on VFX yeah. spectacle.
1: Exactly. In terms of what the director's trying to do with his camera, a lot more low key than Spielberg. But in terms of the story being told and how it, and how it evolves and how the characters talk. And how th- and how the actors just absolutely dominate the dialogue. Yeah, I mean it is very much a dense, dense movie. A lot of fun moves it moves at a swift pace. It's short. It's eighty nine minutes, um, but it doesn't need to be any more than that. And it also has a great like final five minutes. Fantastic final five minutes in particular. And um, yeah, so I did like it a lot. It's not on my top ten, obviously, or I would have listed it, but. It's a, it's a good one it's one that I, I think could really grow on me um, over the over the course of the year and I, I definitely plan to revisit it um, so my number four is an emotional gut punch uh, it's never rarely sometimes always from director Eliza Hitman and this one just recently went way down in price uh, for rental on iTunes in case anybody wants to do it it was it was one of the movies originally priced at 1999 to rent when it went to um, to VOD or prime or PVOD as it's being called uh, following a, a very like truncated theater, theatrical release, didn't really get a proper one. So they went the, uh, the 1999 route, but it's 5.99 now, as far as I can tell. Um, at least that's what I rented it for. And hopefully it stays that way for a while uh, so that people can see this because man, this movie is, it's a tough watch, but it's an important one. The story here follows two cousins, played by Sydney Flanagan and Talia Ryder. Um, Flanagan plays a girl named Autumn, who finds out that she is pregnant and realizes that she has no other option but to get an abortion. However, the small town in which she lives in Pennsylvania does not allow for that. So she and her cousin, um, uh, I just forgot her cousin's name, <laughs> Skylar, uh, played by Ryder, decide to go to New York City where the law is a lot more relaxed especially on underage girls she doesn't want her parents to know Uh, she doesn't want anybody to know and uh so the movie is very very simple they leave their their uh their small town they go to new york and she gets the procedure i've i've literally just spoiled the entire plot to you but the plot is not what matters what matters is the emotional precision of the journey to get there and it's really well communicated through these performances. Flanagan and Ryder are fantastic in this movie. Um, the visual, like, the aesthetic of this is very low-key, but it kind of has the feel, if anybody has seen his their movies, of um, Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne's films. Two Days and One Night, um, L'Enfant, uh, etc. Very, very low-key, but it really is kind of up and up close and personal to faces. And actually this is another movie where a long take on a person's face uh, as it kind of closes in on that person's face is absolutely imp- like crucial to the movie's power. It's a scene. It's I think the best scene in any movie this year. And there is a scene where she is going in for a, an interview pre abortion. And she talks to a counselor at a clinic, um, the key here is that Hitman actually filmed the scene in an actual clinic and that and the, uh, the counselor we see is a real counselor at the clinic, uncredited in the cast. Uh, so that's really important. She is asked a series of questions about her history, um, like her sexual history, her romantic partners and her intentions with this pregnancy. And what happens is Hitman keeps, keeps the camera on her for – it has to be at least about 10 minutes once more um, on, on Flanagan's face as Autumn begins to realize that she has been the victim or the survivor of extreme – well, not extreme, but fairly extreme emotional, physical, and sexual abuse by her various partners – And either, and the the power of the scene comes from actually a certain degree of ambiguity. We don't know if it's one of two things. We don't know if the look on her face that slowly develops is either her realizing that she's been a survivor of these relationships, or if she knew it the entire time and is just talking about it to someone. And the power of it comes from that lack of realization on our part because flanagan's performance doesn't quite communicate which it is hitman never states it out loud and uh, because of that um it is just uh it's a devastating movie uh overall and the direction that it takes from there the strain that it has on the on the cousin's relationship and friendship um and the even like the monetary aspect of it the economic aspect of it for them because they they barely, they don't have any money um or they barely have any money to to pay for the procedure the procedural stuff let alone you know eating uh because it has to be a two-day procedure eating between the initial part of the procedure and the later part of part of the procedure they don't know how to... They they can't do that. They can't figure out how to do that. They don't know where to stay because they don't have money to stay in a hotel. Anyway, it is just... You know, it constantly builds this this situation for them. Um, you know, at the same time that it's hard-hitting, it's also gentle. It also has a really, like, distinct humanity. It isn't just, you know, bad feelings the entire way through. It fits in humor humor in there, too. But, yeah, it is a real... It is a you're a punching bag to this movie. And there's another movie on and on here um that is the same way on my list. And so yeah, that's my number four. Never rarely, sometimes always. Chase, you must catch up with this before the end of the year. It is a fantastic piece of work.
0: Yeah, I uh I, I, I was I think I was gonna check it out and I, I got sidetracked, uh, but I I I have it on my list. I love anything that focus features wants to throw my way, so uh yeah, I'm I'm really really looking forward to that. That was like the first big um, like twenty dollar rental I was uh, contemplating on like buying or renting, and so, um yeah, I remember that one. That was like way early on. So mm-hmm. my number three is kind of like how you felt with uh, with that one. This was also an emotional gut punch. And when I get to, because uh, Joel and I, I think we have the similar top two. If I if I if I'm using my my psychic powers correctly. I can channel this man, and I think we have the same top two. So this will be the last um, uh, random one before we get to that. But this is a smaller film. Uh, it's actually shorter than the Vast of Night. It's only eighty three minutes long. Uh, so you minus five or so for the credits. I mean, it's it's a very short movie, but it's straight to the point. But this is um, Brian Dennehy's last film. Uh, mm-hmm. Rest in peace, sir. This came out like right like a week after he passed, like it was just so crazy to like see his, his passing and then see that this movie was coming out, but it's driveways and it's a really just kind of, it's just, it's a tender movie. Uh, it's a sweet movie, uh, really great relationships that blossom, you know, throughout this thing, a lot of friendships that um, are, are really just kind of formed, you know, it's about a, a, a lonesome boy that accompanies his mother on a trip to clean out his late aunt's house and ends up forming an unexpected friendship with the retiree who lives next door. So Brian Dennehy he plays the retiree. And this would, right off the bat, we can tell that he fought uh, in the – I think it's the Korean War or the Vietnam War. I forgot which hat he was wearing, but obviously he has – he grew up in a time period where he, he – uh, you know views people that are non-white very differently. And so when these people move in, um they are definitely of Asian descent and so that kind of perks him up a little bit like hey what's going on over there? type of deal. And so when he, you know, kind of approaches this family, he talks to the boy uh first and you know they kind of have this uh um you know, common just kind of like asking each other questions like hey, what's that? Oh, hey, can you teach me that or whatever? And so they kind of get to know each other and so What I really enjoyed about it is kind of the timeline of these two, these two people's lives. And so the mother's not really in the the picture that much, you know, uh, they're cleaning out the house. Yes. But it's more about um, her relationship with her son and then uh, her son's relationship with the, the neighbor. And what I like about it is that this kid is like 10 years old. This man is nearing the end of his life. And so they both have different views on life. We have one, Um, kid who has the whole his whole life ahead of him. He's very curious about stuff. He's uh, wanting to learn. He doesn't have a father figure in his life. And so he's looking for that person to kind of help guide him through life's moments. And then we have this, you know, older gentleman who's lived life. He has lived through regrets and he's lived through, um, you know, the ups, the downs, the everything. He's teaching this kid about life because he needs that he's that fatherly figure and that's what this whole movie is is just people talking to one another from different generations different you know uh, race backgrounds um you know it's just really kind of fascinating to hear these people talk but it's just a really warm type of movie that's just dealing a lot with character work and really just kind of building upon that and it leads to the final scene in which Brian Denny, he is sitting on the porch and he's talking to this kid and he's saying like what we all will say when we get older and we tell younger people this, but he's telling him and he's telling us as an audience. And I think that's probably why this one and one of the films I'm about to talk about have been the only films that made me cry so far this year. He's telling this kid, listen, you're going to mess up. You're going to do a lot of things that you regret. But the most important thing is that you don't waste your life and you cherish those moments and you you spend it with the t- people that you, you know and love. Because I forgot to mention, uh, he also has a daughter who's grown up and doesn't really see him that much. And she's kind of, she's just really not there for her dad. So I think that's also why he gravitates towards this kid because it kind of reminds of him, of his relationship with his daughter. But like, he just has this really like hard hitting conversation with this kid. Cause you know that he's going to probably pass pretty soon. Cause he does have a condition later on in the film. And so that final conversation, man, it just kind of gets you, gets you in the hearts. And you're just like, man, this is some really good stuff. And it's just a really human movie. I think that's, what's really touching about it is just, it's just people talking from different backgrounds generations and just seeing how they interact and so yeah it's it's one of two films joel that maybe uh shed that good old tear i'm not afraid to do it but uh driveways was one of them and uh, rest in peace brian dennehy that was a great film to kind of uh end your career with and you gotta keep in mind it's really weird when i watch movies like this because my first brian dennehy experience was in one of my favorite comedies of all time when I watched as a kid in Tommy Boy. So it is very weird to like see where I started with him and where I ended (laughs) with him. So uh and hey, they're both great movies, so that works for me. But uh Joel, did you ever catch up on driveways?
1: I did not. This was one that I was considering watching uh in the lead up to this podcast this week. Uh and I had a busy June and I didn't have very much time. So I kinda devoted the last few days to, to some catch up and I I just I knocked it out of consideration. I did some other ones. Um, I didn't even finish that list of other ones. So, yeah, but I'm gonna be seeing it before the end of July. So we'll I'll be seeing it soon enough, and uh, definitely looking forward to that. I, However, I think, I th- I oh. think
0: e- even if Joel, even if your heart is just so black and you just don't care about anything, you have no emotions, and you hate this movie to its core, I still think the one thing you can take away from it is that porch scene. I think it'll get you, and I think you'll be like, dang, Brian Dennehy needs that good old supporting uh, nod (laughs) because it's just really touching.
1: Nice. Well, I definitely look forward to it. So you did say earlier that you're pretty sure we have the same top two. No. So my number three is The Invisible Man.
0: Oh, uh, interesting. From director... you, threw, you threw a curveball at I me. Did. And I did. I don't appreciate that. You made me look like an idiot in front of our thousands and thousands of non-people that are listening because we have a select group of awesome listeners. But I still embarrass myself in front of our amazing listeners. How could you do that to me? Why would you embarrass
1: <laughs> that me? Is, that is my job in this world. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I love it, Chase. Uh, But, yeah, so my number three is The Invisible Man. I mean, it's the best horror movie of the year so far. Um, I think that that's pretty much like, you know, unanimous uh, consent there. Not consent. Not consent. What did I mean? Uh, Unanimous. Whatever congratulations
0: um, you just embarrassed yes, yourself. i know <laughs> i know
1: i'm 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 losing it guys i mean we haven't recorded in four months people people understand so um <laughs> so the invisible man everybody knows what this is about we reviewed it on the show it was one of our last reviews um and this is about a woman named cecilia played by elizabeth moss who's having a pretty good year with this and shirley which i just caught up with pretty good but she's and she's amazing in it but this is a much better movie she's a, she's amazing in this uh cecilia has a an abusive husband who has apparently just killed himself although actually he has made himself into an invisible being uh by way of a method that I won't give away here just in case you haven't seen the movie yet um and he terrorizes her and it all goes completely insane although and and everybody thinks that she's insane I, this thing is terrifying It is um, inventively directed by Winnell. This is his best film as a director by far. And uh, even though, you know, he he did okay, I guess, with Insidious Chapter 3, he did a pretty good job with Upgrade. But this is a step above both of those uh, and more, um, especially with Moss's performance, which is just an absolute treasure, Uh, one of the best performances of the year for me. And, uh, to say the, to say the least, and there's not much competition so far and truly great performances, but, um, this and another one I'll get to later in the list, uh, are definite contenders for that title. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I love it. I love the knife reveal. I love the special effects that they were able to accomplish on only what, like a, what was it? A seven or I think it was $7 million budget. Um, and it made like billion because they're really freaking smart when they want to actually make a good movie fantasy Island. Um, Good old Jason Blum over there uh, turning around and, and making a a great film. Um, Yeah. I love this movie. I think that I can't wait to watch it again. I haven't bought the 4k yet. I need to do that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I look forward to doing that. I look forward to watching this again. Um just for the craft the level of craft it is just it is fantastic so is the invisible man your number two or are you gonna pass
0: uh, I think we're gonna pass on that one okay, okay,
1: so yeah, we definitely didn't have the same <laughs> the same top two all right, so what is your number two
0: so my number two uh I'd have to go with uh netflix's the five bloods uh which by the way uh i i heard through the grapevine in terms of uh, the trivia for this movie for, because this is Spike Lee's movie that it was hard for him to get funding for this, even though he just mm. wanted an Oscar. I uh, just wanted to bring that up. It was just kind of uh, kind of strange. Yeah.
1: Wasn't it like he was, he was going to maybe try to do the de-aging tech because at some point in the story it's about uh, basically the story is like four um, soldiers go back to uh, Vietnam to find the remains of their, their commander. And he was trying to maybe do some de-aging. They wouldn't give him the money, so he decided to just say, screw it. And he went with something else. I think he also had an entirely different cast lined up, pretty sure. And that it changed when they had to push the production back on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I know what you're talking about. He did, he did have real trouble, for some reason, getting funding for this. They wouldn't let him do de-aging. And so it's just... Uh, the actors as they are um, at one point.
0: But I think it actually works, though, because a part Mm -hmm. of the story is that these gentlemen are older and they're facing, you know, PTSD. And, like, they really are mentally messed up from this war. And I think putting themselves as their current selves in these flashbacks actually makes sense because they picture themselves as them right now because the Mm -hmm. memory of their younger selves are fading. So that actually makes
1: they would. They would think past – I'm sorry. They would think about their past selves as old souls almost because of the fact that they are now old souls. They can't obviously picture the commander as an old soul. He's played by Chadwick Boseman uh, who is significantly younger than folks like Delroy Lindo and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. and so forth, all of whom are great. But yeah, I mean, they, I'll get to this movie in a second. (laughs) Let's just say that. uh, (laughs) The,
0: the, um, I guess the lack of money actually helped him in that case. Cause I actually had this conversation with someone They're like, why were they older in the flashbacks? I'm like, it's because they're suffering from PTSD. Like they're borderline dementia patients. Like they only see themselves as their current selves. Cause like that's how they remember it now. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, anyways, um, yeah, they go back to find the remains of their fallen uh, squad leader played by Chadwick Bozeman. But it's dealing with a lot and, you know, it's a very dense film and that's the way Spike does it. He's very aggressive with his imagery. It shows a lot of, you know, harrowing imagery, you know, from the Vietnam war of kids dying and, you know, people getting shot and he doesn't edit it. It's just in your brain forever. And it's really kind of hard to not think about it, but It's also dealing with, you know, the civil rights era with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And how, you know, uh, African-Americans were being viewed during that time. But also being viewed like in the military, for instance. Because like these four men are doing what they want to do to serve their country. And yet they still get scrutinized for the color of their skin. Even if they're in places like Vietnam or America. It's just like they can't escape it. So it's Mm -hmm. almost like, you know, they can't. They can't escape that. They cannot escape the uh, inevitable PTSD that they're going to face. They're just really kind of struggling to just kind of make it through life. It's just there's so much going on. But it was so great to hang out with these four guys who are all very different in personality. But you get to know them a little bit more and you get to know like their fears, their passions, their, um, you know, just ambitions, their their memories, just you get to kind of just hang out with them and see what they're all about. And I think, rightfully so, everyone keeps praising this gentleman, um, Delroy Lindo, who plays, uh, to put it blunt- bluntly, a Trump supporter. And, mm-hmm. you know, you think that, oh, that's going to be it. Spike doesn't like Trump. but Like, this is going to be um, pretty basic. He's just going to say, you know, I love him and all that stuff. No, it's actually a pretty complex character. And I think mm-hmm. there's several... Uh, parts in the film where you feel this guy's rage and anger and you, you kind of understand where he's coming from and you feel like he's just kind of lost. Like he was kind of forgotten when he got back home, which also gets back to the point of how ve- uh veterans are left to the dust when they come back home from overseas, which is also a humongous problem in this country. Once again, this film is just stacked and stacked and stacked with, you know, plot subtext, just everything that's going on in the world, past and present. But it makes for a really just um, uh, powerful watch. And also, at the same time, just as a uh, pure entertainment level, it's entertaining.
1: It's a a great thriller. It's a great thriller. It's a
0: great thriller that takes these twists and turns that you don't even expect. Mm -hmm. And they kind of just go all over the place, but they make sense for the situation that these characters are in. And it just really kind of catches you off guard. There were several points where you know it kind of takes a ninety degree turn. And I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming, but that's really exciting. It's like Joel said, it, it works on a very basic kind of structure as a thriller. So, um, and then uh, like I said uh, with Delroy Lindo and stuff, the performances are great. Jonathan Majors, uh, you know, one of my favorite people from last year in the Last Black Man in San Francisco, you know, he makes an appearance. Uh, Clark Peters is also really great. Um, he has a great, uh um, uh, what would you, like subplot with, uh, let's just say maybe someone that's really important in his life. Um, that mm-hmm. is, uh, it's a really kind of touching kind of side story that once again, kind of caught me off guard. Um, but yeah, everyone does a really great job. And, uh, there's a few other people that might pop up that you recognize that will, uh, you know, just be like, hey, that's – there's that guy, like Paul John Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And John Renault and stuff. So,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, every, I think everyone does a pretty great job. And it's just, like I said, it's such a – it's such a spike movie. It, it, it's told in that way where you can feel every single, you know, message that he's trying to get across. You can definitely tell his voice is poking through each scene. It's the way he directs things, uh, have characters, you know, speak directly, to the screen break the fourth wall um you know have uh, that uh, iconic shot of two characters floating uh towards the screen definitely on a dolly of some sort it's just they he's got his um he's got his touch all over this thing and i think out of the three you know that he's done so far kind of recently i've loved these last two they have a lot to say about everything that's going on in this country right now with the civil unrest and, you know, as as crazy as Spike is, sometimes I, I I like the messaging in these past two movies and like just how he feels about the current situation. And it really just kind of uh, amplifies just just some of the evil out there. And I, I really uh, I really appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, this is a really great one. It's two and a half hours long. So strap in. It's not quite the length of The Irishman. So if you're worried about <laughs> Netflix time links. Uh, don't worry about it. If you can power through uh, 10 episodes in a season of a television show, then I think two and a half hours will be just fine for you. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy this one quite a bit. It's uh, it's number two. Uh, I don't know what the rest of the year holds, but this one will be a tough one to knock off.
1: Yeah, I'm going to get to it in a second. Um, let's just say that. I've, I'm giving it away. But my number two is the other – and not to say that the five bloods isn't an emotional gut punch, but, um, and it is for sure. But in this pure kind of unfiltered way, my number two is the other emotional gut punch I was talking about with, um, uh, never rarely, sometimes, always. I actually saw these two for the first time earlier this week. Um, and, or maybe last week. Um, I can't remember because time doesn't mean anything anymore, but I saw them on the same day and, uh, that was, that was quite interesting. My number two is called Sorry We Missed You. And this one comes from a director named Ken Loach, who works in a very specific kind of cinema, at least lately. This is the first time I've ever watched one of his movies. Um, but he makes a lot of movies about struggling working class people. And that's what he's been doing recently, particularly under conservative rule. Um, and this, this film is something else. Uh, this one doesn't star any big names. So the actors I'm about to mention, you don't know who they are. Uh, you probably, or you're at least probably unfamiliar with them unless you live in, in places where they're regular actors, which, um, I don't know if they, how much regular work they've done even in their, uh, even in their circles, but whatever the case, the film stars, Chris Hitchin and Debbie Honeywood as a couple uh, who are really, really struggling to make ends meet in just about every respect. Um, They're living in a so-called gig economy that is very much just like a regularly structured economy where they work for flat rates, quick jobs. In the wife's case, she is an at-home nurse or an on-call nurse. She makes house calls, but she only makes a flat rate for the visit. It isn't, it isn't, uh, she isn't paid by the hour. So if she goes somewhere for 15 minutes, she gets paid a certain amount. If she goes, if she goes to a place for three hours, because of some reason she is paid the same amount. It's a flat rate. And that is a strain, particularly when the husband plays by play by Hitchin uh, decides to take a job with a um, uh, a mail company, like a package sort of a, a low-key Amazon um, fulfillment center type type deal where he's got to make payments or make a, um, a package deliveries and that's how he's paid. But he's only paid uh, if he makes those deliveries on time and there are certain packages that are called precisers that have a precise time. He is supposed to get it by that time or he is not paid for that particular package delivery and this this means that he actually has to sell the car that his wife uses to drive to the different places that she uh, uh, where she cares for people so she has to start taking the the um, the bus meanwhile their son has decided to start goofing off with friends smoking pot and uh, and painting graffiti all over the place, which causes a bunch of strain because neither of them can um, afford to leave their jobs during the day to go take care of anything he's done. Um, And the daughter has basically started taking care of the family at the age of like 10. I think she's 10 or 11. She started wetting the bed. She started uh, having a lot of mood swing issues. And basically everything about their crushing financial situation is built up and built up and built up by Loach and the screenwriter, Paul Laverde, Uh who basically take this fairly, you know, already kind of complex situation and just make it more complex and more complex, especially because of the details of the husband's job and the fact that everything financially falls on him. And I don't mean just with the family. I mean that if he, um, if he damaged the damages the van in some way, he pays for it. If he damages this little thing that scans all the packages, he pays for it. And he also, if he misses a day, he he has to pay the company 100 pounds um, or 100 quid, whatever it's called, 100 quid, every single time. He also has to arrange any sort of different driver for any different day, no matter what's going on. So if he doesn't do that, he has to pay 100 quid to do that. And... It is an insane amount of strain. It's a movie that perfectly, repre- that perfectly captures the strain of constant work like this that basically you sell your soul in order to provide for your family, and you also barely provide for your family. Sometimes you, you can't even keep your family together hardly, and that's the absolute grimmest truth that this movie comes to by the end. This is not a movie with any sort of happy, joyful ending. I'm just going just gonna to tell people that. This movie begins in a certain place of strain for the family, and it ends in that same place of strain for the family. There's barely any movement. All there is for us is a deep understanding of what it's like, or at least some sort of window into what it's like. And it's brought to life by very, very simple directorial panache by Loach. Uh, he doesn't play with the camera a bunch. It's just observing the camera, the characters. It gives close-ups when they have the most emotion. It's uh, very effective performances, but in terms of direction, it's very quiet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because what matters is the performances. What matters is the emotional precision. It is going to kick you in the gut and keep doing it. Um, you're going to hate the boss that the husband works for. Hate, hate, hate. You're going to hate them, especially the events of the final, like, ten minutes. Uh, And I won't give anything away. It just involves a horrible, horrible crime and a complete lack of compassion in the face of it. I'll just say that. And it is a gut punch. Now, this one is available on iTunes. Um, I probably should have told everyone, like, as I went down my list, where these movies are available. But I gave you the Wolf House information. Gave you never rarely, sometimes, always, you know, invisible man is, is now at home on uh, 4k. This film is rentable at like four 99. I think for iTunes, for those in America, I don't know what it is outside of America, but it's fairly cheap. Definitely rent this. Just know what you're getting into. Maybe plan for something funny afterward because you're not going to get it here. Um, I don't also just don't want to say that it is pure, uh, like never rarely, sometimes, always that it is pure, like emotional torture and it's certainly a tough watch the family feels like a real family there's there's humor there's personality but the main point is the um the strain on them and it's a lot it's a lot i'll just say that so certainly worth checking out it's our friend it was our friend marks one of his uh three four star reviews so far this year um alongside The Invisible Man, by the way, and uh, and also uh, coming this week, the Hamilton uh, Disney Plus thing that's going on. So certainly up there for him. That's going to be a movie that we're going to be talking about um, at the end of the year, certainly on his part, definitely on my part. I feel like this is going to stay up there for a while. Uh, Chase, uh, turn on the subtitles because it's heavy accents for those who are not used to that, but it is uh it is fantastic um it's a really really fantastic movie total gut punch see this thing man and that's my number two yeah
0: <laughs> oh i thought you were gonna continue yeah no it sounds it sounds really good um yeah you'll have to you have to keep me up to date like when we get closer to the end of the year like have you checked this out and i'll be like no you be like here's where it's yeah at. yeah so yeah um but yeah no that one that one sounds really great but i think um the reason why uh, The Invisible Man is my number one as of right now, and I, I honestly do believe that Defy Bloods and The Invisible Man th- are kind of tied right now, uh, but I think I'm going to give it the slight edge because of the theatrical experience, and I'm just going to be completely honest with you guys, but it's also a really fine uh, piece of work in the horror genre. I've always been a fan of Lee uh, ever since you know the first Saw came out, um and was in it uh as the awful actor, but the man has definitely grown into his own right as a writer and director and he 'll pop into stuff every now and then uh he 's really funny and cooties by the way but um i I do really think this is uh one of the best ones he 's done so far in terms of uh directing he 's just getting better and better um, it's it's a it 's a really great film uh that not only deals with an invisible entity possibly stalking this woman, but also her um, really being haunted by the fact that he was abusive and she can't shake off that abuse even after his uh, his passing. It's just one of those things that will ultimately haunt her for the rest of her life. And it's just absolutely tragic that she has to be in paranoia all the time because of how abusive her ex her ex was. And it's, it's just this... Um, kind of therapy that she has to kind of go through. And, you know, her, her family helps her out. She gets a lot of help from Aldous uh, Hodge's character and Storm Reed's character. But ultimately, she's, she's always running away from something in this movie, whether it be personally or uh, physically uh, as, as an entity. Um, and I thought the performance from Moss was really uh, quite striking. And she's always good. Um, I do have a problem with the whole... <clears throat> The thing with the thing that her and Tom Cruise do. Yes, I will not give her a pass on it. I still think both of them are crazy cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But if we're talking about clearly the performance, she's always great in what she does. Uh, This one, you really, really have to sell what's not there. So if you want to get an actor or an actress to act against nothing, then this is the one to do it. You literally have to have her... Uh, cry, freak out, act like something is in front of her, taunting her when nothing is there and that 's just impressive on an acting level. The supporting cast is also really great i 'm um, glad that Aldous Hodge is doing his thing because uh, as much as I like his start uh with like you know hidden figures and all that stuff, he was also And one of the worst things I've ever seen with what men want. So it's just nice to kind of see him just (laughs) on the strong. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, See him on the strong path because between this and Brian Banks, uh, within the span of a few months, he's really knocking out of the park. Storm Reid is great. um, And everyone else comes to play, but it's really about Moss. It's about her journey. It's about, you know, just what she's feeling. It's about, you know, how she can do to overcome this thing. And of course, like Joel said, it is interesting how they portray the invisible man and like what the person is wearing possibly. Um, And it's really kind of creative with the, the special effects and how it glitches out. And I Uh, I should also
1: say, I forgot to mention this, but the, the whole angle of this being an abusive relationship, she's being gaslit. That's also incredibly, uh, there's a lot of value there too. I mean, it isn't just a great horror movie, although it's that, there's also an extra element underneath it. And I think that, yeah,
0: I mean, uh, it's kind of, it's impressive how uh, Lee was able to like, you know, get the universal monsters from way back when and apply it to a modern story. Like that's Mm -hmm. uh, like unheard of. And so, because there's a lot of, you know, stories that come out now with like abusive relationships and, you know, people being assaulted and people trying to report them and it's just not justice is not being served. And so that's a very, you know, real thing that's going on even more so. And just applying that to um, kind of the universal monster entertainment approach, like it's it seems like a wacko combo, but like it it works. Um Yeah. But yeah, I just I think it's really effective on that front. And like I said, the performances are great. And it's not just Elizabeth that has to act against nothing. Aldous has, has to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of characters that have to act against nothing. Like there's even a sequence where um, she's trying to break out of the hospital. And like all of these guards have to like injure themselves. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, yeah. hard to do in a convincing uh, manner. So like once again, it's just you have to know – uh, how to direct these people when they're acting against a plank wall, basically. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, I just think as a horror film entertainment, um, really kind of deep on its thematic stuff, the performances, the special effects, uh, the way this thing moves like a freight train. It's just, it's a really just excellent film. And I don't know how much we can praise it. It's like Joel said, we had a whole episode on it, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I, I if you guys are still hesitant about this one, um, check it out. Uh, I think you'll be a fan of not only this movie, but especially of Lee Wannall. He's just, he's incredible at what he does. And like, it just, he makes me angry sometimes because like some of the ideas and movies that he, he comes out with, I'm like, I'm like, dang it, I wish I came up with that. Like, I, they're just such uh, interesting horror films that he always has up his sleeve. And this is one of them.
1: Well, I've already had my my say, so I won't say anything else. I'll just move on to my next one, uh, and you've already mentioned it. Uh, you know, I already mentioned your number one. You already mentioned my number one. Uh, I already gave it away. It's Defied Bloods from Spike Lee. I I think that this thing is gonna stay here for a while at number one. I can I can totally foresee that happening. Um, I think it's a near masterpiece. I think that you know a lot of people have been calling this messy. And OK, maybe what Lee is doing is he's throwing a whole lot of ideas at the wall. But I don't know if that's messy. I think that that's ambition. Um, I think that if it didn't have any sort of clear drive or directorial voice, maybe it would be messy. But for me, no, this movie really – But, see, repre- w-
0: but once again, when, when is Spike's films not bold in ambition? Right, like, They're exactly. always that way. I mean
1: to do the right thing is his most beloved and well-known film and even that one is crazy in terms of other wide releases even from that period of time he, he doesn't work in i mean maybe Inside Man which I did catch up with recently um that's a more traditional thing but even that has strangeness to it so yeah he doesn't work in in the typical in the typical um uh, atmosphere of a regular movie whatever you want to whatever that is and yeah i was just riveted i mean you're right it's a great thriller it works as entertainment it works as a hangout movie with these guys in a certain way before things go kabooble. and but i but delroy lindo i I think might be the best performance of the year so far um it's between him and moss and it's a really close battle i think that there's I mean – and it's even before the now famous close-up monologue that he has late in the film in which he – the char- his character Paul lays out everything about how he got to this place in his life as a Trump supporter, as a Blue Lives Matter t-shirt-wearing guy, as basically a very far-right conservative guy. How he got there is more important than the fact that he is there, and I think that that's the point that Lee's making, that – Even if there's a lot of people who espouse a lot of hateful ideology that you don't like uh, or that's genuinely, you know, unlikable, maybe there's an emotional component to it that you don't understand. And so being in somebody else's shoes is really important. It doesn't mean that he himself as Spike Lee is like Paul. He's just saying this is this may be the kind of person that a former soldier in Vietnam who's been incredibly disillusioned about everything about his life and is also suffering PTSD might end up being like Paul in this movie. And if it's a man of color, then so be it. And that's what, that's what the case is here. And there's a monologue where he lays all that out. And he also tells us what he's not going to let the burden of time and reflection and all of this strain do to him right now. And it's beautiful. It's gorgeously filmed um, it's just perfectly acted um, the cinematography here in you know present day is every bit as sweaty and grimy as every other Spike Lee movie and he also films the stuff in the past in 16 millimeter which is just just opens up the movie in so many ways uh, visually speaking it's stunning if this movie isn't nominated for best cinematography there shouldn't be an award for it Uh, because it's, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, And all the performances, not just, not just Lindo, but Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Clark Peters, as you said, great. Um, uh, Norm Lewis, really, really good. Uh, uh, Chadwick Boseman, fantastic. Uh, Jonathan Majors, fantastic. Everybody's fantastic. Um, And uh, I think Jonathan Majors took the role that was originally supposed to be taken by John David Washington, Interestingly enough, it's either that or Chadwick Boseman took it. I don't know who Washington was supposed to play, but this was supposed to originally star Samuel L. Jackson, Don Cheadle, um, um, Giancarlo Esposito, which would have been an interesting. He's a he's a uh, he's a Spike Lee regular, um, Gus from Breaking Bad, and yeah, I just thought that the explosive and 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 considered. And complex things that this movie was saying about race relations in in America, both when Vietnam was going on and at the same time in America, there were a bunch of race riots. And now, where there's a bunch of race riots that look very much exactly the same, um, all of that is just so complex and so just devastating to consider that we haven't moved very far from that moment. I just think that he is, this is like an ultimate statement. This is the ultimate 2020 movie. I think in that way, I think it's the movie that people are going to remember unless there's something that's directly made about COVID-19 before the end of the year. That's the only thing that I could think would be more 2020. And, uh, but you know, that's probably unlikely. And so This movie is probably going to be the one that I at least attribute to this year and is just fantastic top to bottom, perfectly cast, perfectly acted, perfectly shot. It just screams best film of the year to me. So it was pretty much my clear choice. It's the only five out of five I have so far on Letterboxd this year and it deserves it. Yeah. I love this film to death.
0: And I I think the, Perfect way to to describe it is well balanced. Uh, not only yes. theme but character because there are a lot of people in this. Like because as we were running down the list, I was like, "Wow, that is a lot of people." But everyone's got their moment. Everyone has plenty of time mm-hmm. to flesh out their characters. We get to understand their headspace a little bit. Like it's a first like boffo as this movie is with its runtime and just its epic scope it still managed to balance out everything, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, even Jean Reno, we mentioned him. He plays this kind of, you know, blustering French guy in this movie who has a particular kind of role and it becomes far more intense as the movie goes on. But my favorite thing about the movie is what it represents when a certain hat, let's just say that, moves from the Lindo character to the Reno character. And what that means when it finally gets there. And what it represents when it gets on Reno's head, and it's a powerful, unforgettable moment. One of the one of the movie moments of the year for me is his monologue, but that one's not far behind. And um, yeah, I just I just love it. And so um, yeah, so that's my list. That's our lists of the best films of twenty twenty so far. Um, guys, this has been great to get back in this. Now, of course, we don't know when we're going to be back again, um, you know, we're all hoping that, that everybody gets the picture and starts, you know, using masks and all of that to, uh, to start to stem the tide of this virus. Otherwise, as of right now, at least the possible hope is that we would review Tenet when it opens in, in August, August 12th. It's a Wednesday release. um, we're hoping that that's probably going to be the next time you hear from us. But again, it all falls on, on everybody who is suddenly deciding that this virus is a political position to shut up, use their masks, so that everybody can get well. That's what we're hoping. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you guys when we talk to you next, but we just don't know when that's going to be. And um, yeah, so
0: Chase, any parting words? No, just uh, keep a lookout for extra content. Uh, that yeah, yeah, you guys... and and
1: and reviews from Chase and I. I mean, I'm I'm hoping to start the audio reviews. Obviously, Chase is going to keep going with them, so it's not like you're not going to hear from us at all. But in terms of these episodes, it may be a little while. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I meant to say.
0: Right. So we're hoping that this tied you over. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll provide as much extra content. Joel will get to the rest of his uh, series eventually. You know, we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to that point, but. Yeah. We'll never give up on you guys. Like the, just as long as you guys bear with us, then we just appreciate it. And yeah. we'll, 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 make it work as much as we can.
1: All of our priorities have shifted tremendously this year. So
0: yes. It's, and it's my, my job has, yeah, my job has picked up. Joel's job has picked up. So like, we're just, you, if you guys could just bear with us and we'll, we'll just go along this journey together that we would appreciate it. We always appreciate you guys, but like, you know, as long as you guys can just stick it out for the long haul then uh you guys are the real heroes
1: yeah absolutely all right well till next time whenever that is uh this has been real me and colon a movie podcast you guys are awesome i hope that this was a treat for you because i know it's intense out there um and we will talk to you when we talk to you (laughs) bye-bye